Welcome to the Psychosphere. My name is David Sutcliffe, and my guest today is Jana Senor. Jana is a former television writer and showrunner. She created the internationally acclaimed TV series Being Erica, and she is now a core energetics practitioner working out of Toronto. And we are old, dear friends, and you're going to hear all about our interesting relationship in this very fascinating episode. Please enjoy my conversation with Jana Senor. Jana. Yes. I feel like we have to fill the audience in on some backstory. Yes, I know. That's true. There is backstory. Um, go ahead. You, one, oh, I should me? go ahead. I'll go ahead. I remember, well, I mean, okay, I'll start. I met you at a party, your party at your house. You were wearing a, I remember you were wearing a pretty dress. Mm-hmm. You were you, not invited. I wasn't we invited. We didn't know each other. I was very stressed because my friend just asked at the last minute if he could bring you. And I'm very uptight about these kinds of things. And I said yes to seem like a relaxed person, which I am not. Um, but yeah, that's how I what met you. What do you mean? You, but you knew that, that I didn't know that part of the story. How, how never could you not that. want me there? I'm like a core guy. I'm a famous actor coming into town. I know. The, I know. And I, then you because, immediately started flirting me with me the second I walked in the door. I was not expecting you to be so smart. Hmm. Okay. And I wasn't expecting to be so drawn to you. I mean, oh. Yes, you're very handsome. Of course, that was a part of it. But also, I loved talking to you right off the bat, you know? And Why? Why did you love talking to me? Tell me, tell me, what drew you to me? I'm just kidding. We love well, talking no, about no. core. We I mean, in, we have, we have just a lot of chemistry. Mm-hmm. We have a lot That's of chemistry true. when we talk. You know what I mean? It, it kind of, we kind of go at things in a way that can be really fun, you know? And, and you had such a um, kind of intellectual, deep, take on core. And I was hungry to know everything about it. So, you know, I just was like, I want to, I was surprised because I, you know, I'd heard that you were, I'd heard things about you that were not so flattering. Really? What did you hear? You heard things about me that were not so flattering too. Um, You know, that you were like difficult and, you know, intense and nuts, you know, and polarizing. Nuts. Maybe not nuts. Polarizing. 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 Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. yeah. Ian said you were, what did he say? He I, I, I don't cra- remember what he said. I mean, he wasn't, it, it was It was fine. He was kind about it, but it was like, the idea I had was she's a lot. And mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's true. It's true. That is true. That is true. Mm-hmm. I didn't find you a lot, I guess, because I'm a lot. So it was two mm-hmm. a lot people connecting right mm-hmm. when was that that was about 10 years ago about a little less than mm-hmm. yeah and then and then we became friends mm-hmm. and then things got crazy what happened um what happened we became friends but it was really more than simply that? yeah i felt i well i'll say what happened for me yeah i fell in love with you that's what happened. Really? That's what happened for me. Yeah. Yeah, I did. 
What, in what way? I mean, you were just, just so the audience is aware, you, at the time you were married and you were in love with your I husband. I still am. No, I, yeah, yeah still I are. still am, which was, you know, um, it was actually my husband who pointed it out to me that I was in love with you. Um, I, I, I we, you and I ended up doing a podcast together and I, you know, it was, I, I was in love with my husband. I still am. I never wanted to leave him. It wasn't like that. I just, I don't know. I, I just fell so hard for you, you know, mm. like in a, in a way that was like very transferential, we could say. And also like, I don't know. I think you, you took me out of control in a kind of way that I hadn't experienced previously. And it was very exciting and stressful. And, um, you know, I had a real experience. I guess I was in love with you too. Now that you mention it. I mean, that was, we did, so we did, just so the audience knows, we did a podcast together. A, well, it was a video podcast. There were 30, 20, 30 minute episodes. And about our relationship, really, because mm -hmm. it was a unique relationship. You were a married woman. I was a single man and we were in this platonic friendship, but it was more than a friendship. There was a real intimacy and there was an attraction. You, you had confessed your attraction to me early on. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I was probably in denial of my attraction and which people pointed out to me mm -hmm. because it, I don't, I don't know if I felt my attraction to you, it felt like it just was too dangerous. Mm -hmm. Didn't you also like, weren't you also so against the idea of just like married people, like, like going, getting in on someone's relationship, you know, you know, like well, I somebody, couldn't been, I couldn't have been that against it. Right. I remember what you said to me the first time, like I told you, you said, you're married. This is never happening. I don't want that. It was so strong, you know? Yeah. Well, I wanted to have the, I wanted to be friends with you and I didn't want right. that in the way. And I also knew, I think I could feel instinctively, intuitively, you were, <laughs> you were not up for some crazy polyamorous weird thing. I mean, if you were, if you really wanted that and your husband was into it, it might've been different, but you're, you're not really like that. No, I know. You, you said something to me. I mean, I remember so much. I have such a good memory for things people have said. And I have, I remember so many things you've said. And the thing you said to me was women want to fuck me all the time. I know what it feels like when a woman wants to fuck me and you don't. <laughs> <laughs> and That's I was funny. like, no, I do. <laughs> but I think you knew something that I didn't know, yeah. you know, or that I didn't, I didn't. And maybe in some way we, like I had to play, we each played our role to get as close as we could while keeping the boundary. Like somebody had to keep the boundary. We couldn't let it get too far out of control. I mean, I think we, we edged, whenever we edged there, it, it, it got very weird. Don't you think? Yeah, that's really true. But I guess we had to try just to see, I don't know. 
So we had this love affair, really, a platonic love affair. That was so full of tension. Both good and bad. Both good and bad, yeah. Mm -hmm. And there was an enmeshment. Mm -hmm. There was transference both ways. Mm -hmm. I remember somebody, a client, actually recently pointing out she was in our workshop, one of our workshops that we did together, Mm -hmm. and she pointed out how she saw you baby me. Mm-hmm. She saw that? She saw it in the workshop. Oh, God. And oh. Uh, I had a moment as she was saying this uh, of being humiliated. And then, of course, I had to say, well, yeah, no, I love being babied. I am a baby and I love being babied. I had to own it. What, what other choice did, I, did right. I have? And I, I mean, look, I loved babying you in some way. Right. I needed to I mean, be babied. Yeah. And it was also a problem between us, you know, that whole thing. But but it, we were definitely both on, on side in that dynamic, you know? On side? Like, you love to be babied and I love to be babe, to baby you. And I think right. also you, hate, you hated to be babied and I hated babying you. I remember you said to me once, I can feel like radiating off your body, this desire to be touched, to -hmm. be comforted. And, but I wouldn't let it happen. I wouldn't let you hold me or cuddle. There was some Mm -hmm. way that I, I kept you at a distance. And I came over one night. Remember I rode my bike over that one night and Oh I God, that was horrible. That was horrible. <laughs> yes. I you remember. probably remember the night better than I, I barely remember these things, but I do remember something, there was some attempt to cuddle and I resisted it. And then I was talking to Tom, my therapist at the time. And I said, well, I can feel her. It's like, she's going to put some hooks in me. Like if I, if I let her in, the hooks are going to come, which may or may not have been true. That's my history with my mother. Like, if I, like her hugs always felt invasive. They felt like they were about her. So they mm-hmm. weren't comforting. It was like she was taking something from me. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I was projecting that onto you. Although now in reality, I can see that's, that wouldn't have been the case necessarily. Mm-hmm. But I remember, I remember you saying that and it really struck with, it really stuck, stuck with me because it just, it felt so sad mm-hmm. that you could feel that and wanted to give me that and I wouldn't receive it. I got to do it once, Dave. When was that? Um, it was at an Esalen workshop. You were the assistant. And you and Anne lay down in the middle with your blindfolded. And I went right in, you know? <laughs> That's right. Because right. you would never let me touch you, you know? And I, felt, I always felt like such a crazy person, you know? Because the... I was like, what is wrong with me? You know, like the impulse to touch you would be so overwhelming, like that I would feel like literally insane. And I just like, I just, I massaged your head and your shoulders. That's what I did. And I was like, he doesn't, he doesn't know it's me. So, so I could do it. And it made, I just was so, I don't know, made me so happy. I think I, I let all that in. I remember mm-hmm. that moment and uh, I remember enjoying it. I, di- I, di- I didn't know it was you at the time. I think you told me after. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. Years later, I did. Mm-hmm. What else is? Do you think it's important that that people know? Like, because it, it was a unique like, thing. I, I, it's like okay, you know, there's been suffering for both of us in this friendship. You know, there's been you know years where we haven't spoken, right? Mm-hmm. And then and but for me, like you're extremely important to me. You know, like even when I don't talk to you or like this friendship has given me a huge amount of learning in my life. Huge. You know, I, I, I yeah, that it's, I've learned so much, like, especially in the suffering, you know, like in all the places that we would fight and then we wouldn't talk. Like I, I, I learned a lot about myself and you know, I also like, I had this experience where my heart would just open to you and it was so pleasurable for me. Like, Mm. I I don't, you know, like it would open and was I in love with you? Like, I don't know. Like, that's what it felt like because I just loved you so much. You know, like there was a time, like I just would feel, you know, everything now feels so much more like everything feels stable. Like it's, it's, you know, our, our relationship now is different, but I'm just, I just have a lot of gratitude for, you know, we've been through a lot of things together. Mm-hmm. Me. Yeah. That's how I feel. I have a lot yeah. of gratitude and, and there was sort of breakups along the way, but what was mm-hmm. the final in your mind? Like, cause I felt there was a moment where you really made a decision to pull away Mm-hmm. And I could feel the rightness of that. Mm-hmm. I didn't really question it. Yeah. But what was going on for you? Did you have a realization that there was something I, that wasn't healthy and you needed to, to create a space? Yeah. I, I was, tr- I would like, I got to a place where I'd feel so much anxiety around you, you know, like I couldn't, I couldn't be relaxed Like I couldn't, I don't know if it was the enmeshment or whatever it was, but there was this night that Angela and I were over at your house and I just felt like I was dying. I was so anxious. And I I was like, I need to resolve this for myself. Like this is, I don't, or I need to admit defeat. You know, I can't figure this out. This isn't Dave's fault. It's something that I need to sort out for myself because what I want is I, I want a friendship with Dave where I can feel relaxed and I do not feel relaxed. I feel like so on edge all the time and I don't like it. And, and so that's, that's why I pulled away, you know, and we didn't talk for two years. Um, two years. mm -hmm. Yeah, that sounds right. And then what happened was, you don't know this, but, um, and I would think about you and I would wonder like, are we ever going to speak again? You know, I don't know. Do I have an impulse to call? No, I don't. And then one day my phone dialed you by accident. FaceTime videoed you while you were in Miami. While I was was, in Miami? Yeah, you were in Miami. You were visiting a friend in Miami. Hmm. And you responded. And I was like, oh God, it's, I guess this is the moment. And that's how we started talking again. (laughs) I didn't know that. Yeah. I don't remember that. That was recently? Yeah, it's within the last... We only started talking again within the last four months. I guess, yeah. I was in... So I was recently when I... That time I was in Miami. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So it was an accident. It was It was like... It was not... Yeah, it was an act of God. 
I was not planning in some way. Like my phone ran, I picked up my phone and I saw it was FaceTime videoing you and I hung up. Cause I was like, what? No, you know, and I hung up the phone and then. What did I do? I texted you back. You texted me. I'm in Miami. You're just like, I'm in Miami. Can I call you later? (laughs) You know, so you, two years have gone by. I'll, I'll get back to you shortly, you know? And, and I was like, okay, I guess I, yeah, this is, this is supposed to be. And I'm so glad. I was in Miami with my new girlfriend. That's right. That's right. Which I didn't know, but I was like, yeah. Yeah. Who physically is very similar to you. It's interesting. Short. No. Yes. Five, two. I like that. Of course. I like that. Uh, Olive. Skin. Really? You have the Egyptian. I pictured. Yeah, skin, I have the Egyptian. I always thought she Ecuadorian, was blonde for but... some reason. I always see you with blondes. No, brunette. No. Very small and pretty. Right. Very right. nice. Quiet. Right. Not like you in that way. <laughs> right. No, she. No, I, I, she's. That's she's good, though, talk. you know? She can talk. That's good. I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, she's a talker. You know. But not uh, as demonstrative as you are or I am. Uh, that's interesting. And so now we are, where are we at now? Are we, is there anything to talk about? I, is there anything that needs resolution? Is there anything that needs to be said? Um, I don't think so. Is there anything? I don't think I need to say anything else. I feel like that felt really good to say all of that, Mm. you know? I felt really good, actually. Mm-hmm. Do you need to say anything? No, I feel good. I feel close to you. I, I just, the night, the last night, I think I texted you this or voice memoed you at, at the time. But we were late. Right, you, you were, cooked you a were meal. Very I late. know. I'm sorry. You <laughs> no, know what? No, I thought okay. about that. No, you know what? It was very insensitive of us. Actually, <laughs> you cooked this beautiful steak, and we were late. It was rude. Well, it was more than that. You guys were late, and you were gone. Like you were both sort of gonzo with the uh, workshop. You were planning a workshop, and I could see it wasn't. You weren't finding it, or something was happening, and. You were struggling, and so you walked in both kind of in a daze, very late. And and then I guess because your anxiety, you just like went to the kitchen, loaded up your plate, sat down, and just started like eating. And I was just like, the f, you know, in my mind, I was trying to be cool, but when I thought about it later, because I was, because then later I was very aggressive with you, and I could see. Why? And I could see you got scared or something happened. Mm-hmm, I got and then scared. When I, yeah. When I, later when I was, I mean, it was indirectly aggressive, but I was wondering why was I so aggressive? I'm like, oh, because, you know, I made this nice meal and, and I was excited about them coming over and I wanted to have a fun night and, and it just all went to shit and I felt mm-hmm. like, uh, I guess hurt. Yeah. But I also, you know, it's water under the bridge. But I just, I guess I just needed to say that because. Yeah. Um, but I also, it's, it's, it's all good. It's all good. But other than that, no, I'm, I don't carry, it's, it's good. It was beautiful. It was a beautiful time, mm-hmm. which is how I felt when we were in the middle of it. People, I know people criticized it or 
would say that we were being, you know, we were crazy or deluded in some way. And my response is always, was always like, well, we're having fun. It's fun. Mm -hmm. What's, what's, what's the harm? And we're going to learn and grow from this. And I felt like, and we took a risk and we created something together and, and I guess we needed each other in some Mm -hmm. way. And and then it ended. That's true. That whatever that was ended, it had to end. And now we're here on this podcast. I know. It's so great. It is great. Yeah. And you are a uh, former television writer and producer and showrunner successful mm-hmm. being Erica. And mm-hmm. now you are a cornergetics practitioner therapist. You have a private practice in Toronto. Mm-hmm. How's that going? Um, so I mean, I just reached out for some supervision cause I was like, I feel, this feels so stale. <laughs> I'm so annoyed. I don't want to do this any, you know, not that I don't want to do this anymore, but I was feeling, I don't know, like something was kind of stuck inside of me, you know, like I was feeling not bored, but just like not creative. Um, And I feel that way from time to time. But in general, I would say like compared to writing television, even though I was successful and, you know, it was very exciting. Like this is the thing I'm supposed to be doing clearly. You know, I'm very passionate about it. You're very, and you're very good at it. I, I am a lot better than I used to be. Yeah. Yeah, I am. I am very good at it, actually. What, what do you mean you're a lot better than you used to be? What, like, how did you improve? What improved? What did you notice? Like, like there's something about switching careers in midlife, you know, when you're already like, you know, I was kind of like in Canada, I was near, I felt like I was near the top, you know, I had a successful one hour drama that I was show running, you know, and like big agents in LA at William Morris. Like I just felt, you know, like anyone would take a meeting with me. Like I was, you know, in demand. And then I start a new career as a therapist and I'm bad, you know, like, I don't know what I'm doing. And I feel that I, I just have to feel that all the time. Um, I feel lost or I feel like I just, remember going through a period of several years where I just did not feel I was learning. I was learning a lot, but that process is not comfortable or pleasant uh, necessarily. And I feel now, it's not that I'm not still learning, but I don't, it's not the same as being at the beginning. You know, I don't, I don't feel constantly like I have no idea what's going on. Is that how you felt? Like you have no idea what's going on? Yeah, a lot of the time. A lot of the Mm -hmm. time I feel like I have no idea what's going on, you know? And that does not happen. You really don't like feeling out of control. Yeah. And also, I really like feeling out of control, but I resist it. You Mm -hmm. know, it's like kind of both things. Mm. So, what have you you learned? Like, what's, I don't know, I mean, it's a hard thing to articulate, and I'm sure there's a lot of things that you've learned, but what comes to mind? over the last couple of years if you as you've uh gotten better at it and I mean this is going to maybe sound a little bit vague it's something you told me actually you know like when I first started I would try to imitate the people I admired you know and I had to find my own style you know like there's things there's just things that I bring that are, that are me, you know, like there's ways that I want to go. Like, 
um, that are my style and to go all the way into that is what I've learned, you know, and to accept myself there. Mm. Um, people are so complicated. They're like a puzzle and their defenses are, are, are built from this, this survival place. So they're brilliant, you know, and how you connect with them, how you get in, like what you use in yourself and your own energetic system is very, it's specific to me, you know, like I have a kind of light lightness to me. I like to go towards pleasure, be it positive or negative pleasure, like as a way in, you know, I, um, I do a lot of role playing. Like I do things with words, you know, I don't know. I just have, I just have a style, you know, and I've learned to like, enjoy that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Pleasure. You, that's what I think. And I, I brought this up. I'll, I'll, I don't mention you by name, but that you have this orientation toward pleasure. And you said this the last time we talked that, does this feel good? That's the question you ask yourself. Mm-hmm. Do I want, you know, there's a decision to make and mm-hmm. does this feel good? Does it not feel good? And you just operate from that place feeling good, which seems so simple, but it's so, I don't know. It's kind of profound. This idea yeah. of like, I'm just going to do what feels good over and over mm-hmm. and over again. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to not do what doesn't feel good. I'm going to let that be my guide. It's a kind of pleasure. I mean, not every things feel good in all kinds of different ways, obviously, mm-hmm. but it, it simplifies things in a way. And I think there's very few of us that give ourselves permission to, to do that. Some, mm-hmm. I, I can feel in me, it's like, what do you mean it has to feel good? That feels, I don't know, not serious <laughs> or something. Right. But maybe that's not everyone's way. Like I was listening to one of your podcasts with Shaman Dave. And yeah. he talked about how he like has his dream time at night uh-huh. and in his dreams, he gets messages about what he's supposed to do. Yeah. You know? And I'm like, that's, I don't do that. That's not my dreams. No, <laughs> like, my dreams don't tell me anything. I don't ever listen to them. They're not relevant. You know, that's not how I make decisions. That's not how the information, that's not my style. Information comes to me through pleasure. Like, mm-hmm. like there's a certain vibration to the thing. It's like when you say, does it feel good? It has a certain quality that I can discern that is like, is the message, you know? And then there's the other side, which is, it, it's, it's like dread. Like if I feel dread, I'm not supposed to do it. You know, I have to feel a, a quality of like excitement and, and a kind of energetic pull towards something. And I'm supposed to do that thing. And that's how I live my life is I, is like by responding to those frequencies. Do you have a relationship with the mystical? Do you think about the mystical? Are you oriented in any way towards things mystical? Um, I think I have a deep longing to be oriented towards the mystical. I think it's not an accident that I like I'm such good friends with you and Angela who are so oriented towards the mystical, you know, I have a religious studies degree. Right. You know what I mean? Like I, I wasn't, I didn't grow up in a family that was oriented towards the mystical, but I, I really want to be more in the mystical, you know? Yeah. Why? I see. I feel so, I feel so uncomfortable just thinking about like, I, it's so the opposite of everything I was taught about how to be in the world, you know, taught and what I parents. was, 
Yeah, I taught by my parents. Like my parents taught me how to do life, you know, and they they have some the stuff that they know, you know, but it's all very the material plane, you know, and and I just there's more than that, and I want it, and I'm drawn to people that that go that way, and I, but I don't feel like that's my normal way, you know, or I feel a shyness about it. Mm. Yeah. What about you? Well, that's all I care about now. Right. Right. It's it. Everything feels like about deepening my relationship with God. Mm-hmm. It feels like the primary thing that everything that I want is through that. Now I also can feel this place right now in my life where, uh, being worldly, like being here on the planet, doing my work, making money, building things, contributing, like that's really important. And you can find God through that, but there has to be an anchoring. And, you know, I found this sweat lodge that I go to every Wednesday and I've been going to sweat lodges for a long time, but there's something about this one and going weekly Mm-hmm. And the way I've been invited to participate in this lodge, and because I have now have a lot of experience under my belt, and it's a very hot lodge, and it's very packed, and there's a lot of experienced people in there, it gets very intense. Mm-hmm. And there's something that's happening in there every Wednesday for me that just takes me into another realm. Like it's another realm of reality. It's a technology. This is a mm-hmm. technology. With the lodge and the rocks and the fire and the songs and the drum, it literally takes you into another realm of reality. And there's information in that realm. Mm-hmm. There's perspectives and knowledge and wisdom that you can't acquire in any other way. Mm-hmm. And it's fascinating to me. And I guess you must, you must feel that because you've done so many workshops with Anne and your own workshops and working with people that you, you enter into that space. Mm-hmm. What do you make of that space when you're in it through your work? What do you, is, what do you make of that? Because there's an intelligence mm-hmm. that emerges out of it, something that's bigger than the rational and what is your, how do you relate to that through this work? You know, when you say you go to another realm and there's information, like there's, there's, we know there's information that comes through the body, like in the work that we do, you know, and, and, and you talk about how information comes, you know, we've, information comes through the energetic field. And, and honestly, I don't know that I, this is a growing edge for me. Like I, uh, I don't know. I don't feel like I know that much about, you know, I, I took a trip with my husband recently and we had our auras photographed. Okay. (laughs) And, and the, the, all the, like the super spiritual, like the third eye and the crown chakra, like it's all blue and violet and stuff like that. And I really wanted to be blue and violet. You know, I was really hoping that I was going to be the spiritual aura photograph person and all the lower chakras, like the root and the power center and the sexuality, it's all orange and red and yellow. And of course I got so upset. Dave's, my husband's aura comes back photograph and it's like 
blue and violet and pink. It's like all these very spiritual colors. And my thing is like completely, my whole face, everything's yellow and orange. And, and, you know, I just feel like my path in this life is like, I'm very worldly. I'm very in the world. I know how to do the world. And I want to move towards spirit. I want to move towards like this mystical, and you know, the mystical. And yeah, I guess that's all I can really say about it. I don't know what else to say about it. Well, I, I always ask you about it because I, I feel that it's, I, I don't know if, if and when you decide to tune in or when it comes to you. I don't know how it's going to happen or maybe it's never going to happen, but I don't know why I have this sense that something deep is there. I mean, I, I guess I feel it in you. Like once you tune into it, like you're going to channel some powerful information. That's mm-hmm. my sense. Mm-hmm. Like you're going to know things. There's certain people that, that know things like Diana, like th- there's a place when she locks into something, you're like, where the fuck is that coming from? Mm-hmm. And she just knows. Right. And I feel that with you. And maybe it's just, maybe it's, you're, maybe no. it's there and you're just shy about it. Cause I listen to, to, for me to say like, my only interest is deepening my relationship with God. That is not something I would have said five years right. ago. I would right. have been very shy about saying it, but now I'm, you know, rooted in it. So, you know, who knows, maybe that'll happen to you or maybe it'll happen in your own way, or maybe it won't. I don't know. Well, I'm just curious about it with you. I guess, okay, so something that I, I feel, like a lot of the information comes, and, I, and this is something I would not have said five years ago either, but is through my heart. Mm. Like, you know, I cry a lot in my sessions, like with, with my clients. Um, I'm moved all the time. <laughs> And something starts happening in my heart. And, and when I can feel it, when I feel this thing that starts to happen in my heart, I, I know things, Mm -hmm. you know, I trust what comes, what, what wants to come through my heart, you know, Mm -hmm. and I have impulses and it's hard to, I guess, be really specific about it, but I, I can really follow my impulses and I can really stay in a lot of energy and, you know, and I cry and I just feel, um, I'm not somebody that, that historically has been very like associated with my heart, you know, like, like I think I was, I walked around with my heart kind of quite protected. Um, but when you say that, and I think about how I get information, I think about my heart. That's interesting. That's powerful. Mm-hmm. It makes me think that were you shamed for your love? Like, is is it an edge for you to reveal like how much you actually love? Yes. Yes. Not not as much as it used to be. I mean, yeah. it's it's not the same as it used to be. You know, it must have been painful because you wanted to give me so much love and I couldn't receive it. I wouldn't receive it. Right. And probably 
almost held back to punish you. Mm-hmm. I mean, punish my mother, but punish you. Right. Uh, yeah, I, I, I was actually just, I was like, am I going to say, like, <laughs> that I'm thinking about Dave right now? Like, I'm glad you, you said that. Yeah, like, it was perfect, you know? Like, um, it was a perfect recreation of something for me. Like, it, my heart opened to you so much that I, I couldn't, and I would try to close it. And I remember my therapist saying like, this is Dave's gift to you, you know, like that he takes you think like that you go so in your heart. And I think until like my heart had not like my heart opened in a certain way to you that I hadn't since I was very little and it was transformative. (laughs) Like, yes, it was very painful. It was so painful between us Um, and such a recreation. I think the amount of love I wanted to give my dad was just, you know, too much for him. It's it sounds if you're not familiar with the work, you haven't done a lot of therapy. It it sounds kind of. crazy in a way. What do do you mean ashamed of your love? But what happens is, yeah, we have all this love. I mean, you think of a child and how much love they have, how open they are, how much they want their parents. And if the parent can't receive that love, which many cannot, or they're just overwhelmed or they're busy, whatever's going on, um, we can learn, internalize this idea that there's, there's something wrong with our love or our love is too much. And we learn to hide it. We get shy with it. We shame it. And it's devastating and it's hard to claim it back. And I know I've gone through that. I remember I was in love with somebody and my therapist, you know, I felt embarrassed somehow. And, uh, he was just like, no man, let, let yourself love. Like let, if you let, just let it be. And whether it's received or not, I mean, that's, that's the gift there. Mm-hmm. You know, can you let yourself love freely without concern that it will be received because it's yours. It's your love. I mean, it's, it's, we prefer that it's received. It's nice when it's received, but to not cut off from it, even when it's not received or even when it's mocked or shamed or discarded or used to still stand in it. Yeah. Have it. It's the ultimate power. It actually, like if you, it, it feels so good, like to have your love. Like I used to think, and I see this in my, with my clients, like, I don't want to have my love if it's not going to be received, people say. But there's this other place where you're just having it and having yeah. it and having it. And it's, you're full of love and, and it feels amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I, I also want to say, you know, the story between you and I was that I loved you and you would punish me. But I have memories of you of feeling your love for me and actually feeling like how much I didn't want to receive it. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. Well, we both had a hard time being vulnerable. Yeah. In different ways at different times. You're both cut off. Mm-hmm. I think, I think it just shocked me, you know, that what to feel that, I actually also, like, I wasn't, it was just 
it's a lot to feel somebody's love come towards you, you know? Can you, you have kids. Yeah. You can probably imagine how much your father must have loved you and, mm-hmm. but had no understanding of it. It, it probably overwhelmed him. My father loves babies so much. My father is happy to be like a portable vehicle for a baby. He'll just hold a baby and walk around letting that baby point to whatever it wants, like for hours. His heart opens so completely to babies. Mm. And then when they get a little older, um, he doesn't, you know, I guess it's more risky. There's more rejection or he, he doesn't stay as open. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that must have been painful. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, but yeah, my father, my father loved me a lot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can feel that. I can also feel how he was complicated and it must have been confusing. For you and for him and for him yeah mm-hmm. you have two kids how how old are your kids now 16 and 14 wow yeah how's that been um it's it's mixed i mean i have an intention i know what i'm trying to do which is just support them to grow up and go and live their lives and take risks and not try to feed off of them in any kind of way, you know, like, but I could feel this part of me that just wants to know everything. They're like, wants them to tell me stuff and like get so much pleasure out of hearing about what they're doing. And, and, um, and and also just feel like they're going to be gone really soon. Like they're, they're almost, they're almost grown. Um, and also like I'm in a lot of delight watching them. Like, like there, there's a very fast rate of development in the teenage years. Like they, they change very rapidly again, the same way they did when they were very little. And I'm seeing like this rapid maturation and it's very exciting. And it's like, you know, it's high school. It's like thrilling. Like they're, they're excited all the time. Like the crazy, you know, they're like in relationship and it's just like, it's the stuff, you know, John Hughes films are made of like, and that energy is in my house and, and it's sweet, you know? It's so sweet. What has raising two children taught you about your childhood? Is it is have you gained clarity, perspective on uh, what happened to you? I mean, I've gained humility for sure. (laughs) (laughs) I've been taken down by both my children taken down. I think of myself as smart and confident and capable. And I have been taken the most out of control by those two kids, you know? Um, and, and I also, 
feel like there's a force that wants to repeat the damage that was done to me, whatever, you know, like the thing that was done to me, I can feel it's like, it comes, it's like, it's almost impossible to not do certain things. What do you mean? You know, like, I, I want to grab them, you know, I want to kiss them. I want to, my head says, get, leave, leave them alone. <laughs> right, because your mother step did away. not leave you alone. No, it, she did not. Is, but I right. would step away from your son, Jana. Step away from your daughter. Like, step away. Take your energy, pull it back. Step away. And it's really strong counterforce, you know? Like... And, and also just to do like this place where I want to do things for me because they feel good to me, you know, and they're, they're not necessarily like what my kid would like. Um, like for instance, I just, just happened before I came here for the podcast. I watched myself do it. It was not a good mom moment. I'm, I leave my house, I'm walking to my car and this boy is walking towards me and I recognize him from pictures from my son's like camp, like his overnight camp cabin photo. So I say, I turn and I say, are you Gavin? And this massive 14 year old boy turns and looks at me like, who the fuck are you? <laughs> and, and he just, and I'm like, that's Max Singer's house. And then he melts down on the sidewalk. What? What? Oh my God. Like, you know, cause he's just lived with my son for two months. Um, and, and then I say, do you want to go in and surprise him? And he says, Max would hate that. And that's true. And I know it's true. And there's a part of me that just doesn't care because I want to do it anyway. You know, I want to shock Max. I want to bring this kid into the house. It's like too good. You know, it's too good of a moment. It's too good drama. You know, it's totally insensitive to my kid and how he is and how sensitive he is and how he doesn't want this you know, his camp friend who he's not expecting bursting into his bedroom. It's like a nightmare. And, and I actually, this kid has to talk me out of it. You know, I said, I know you're right. That's good. You're right. You're right, Gavin. He would hate that. He's like, he would, knowing Max, knowing everything. And we had this little like moment on the sidewalk and, 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 and I'm like, okay, so what should we do? And he says, just tell him I dropped by. I said, Okay. <laughs> You know. Wow. You get straightened out by a 14-year-old. I did get straightened out. And then I called Max and I told him and then Max screamed at me, you know, even though I didn't do it. He's like, but you would have. You would have. And, and I said, yeah, well, I, yeah, I didn't do it. He's like, but you would have. And you know I hate that. And, and I was like, yeah. What is that? Why, why would you do that if you know he would hate it? Because I'm a jerk sometimes, you know, because it's selfish. It's just... Like, it's totally selfish. I just want the moment. You know, I'm in a movie and I want the moment. It's completely, it shows complete disregard for his feelings. That's amazing. Is it? <laughs> well, it's amazing that you can admit to it. Because I, there were so many things you would admit to that I would, I mean, I remember that I had such a strong reaction to. Because it, it feels like what happened to me. Right. You know? Like that there was a complete disregard 
for my feelings. So that, you know, my mother's wanted to have her experience and her feelings. And, um, so even to hear you acknowledge it is a relief. Mm-hmm. It's gotta be hard to be a mother. I mean, they come out of your body. They come out of your body and, and I grieve the loss of the person I knew, you know, like my kids, especially my son, he's a completely different, like he's 14. Like he, the person who I knew and loved at three and four is gone, gone, dead. He's dead. I'm never going to see him again. That's what it feels like. Hmm. I know that's like, maybe sounds really intense, but it's, it's true. It's like, whoever you were at four, like, that's not you anymore. That's not you at all. You know, but I loved that person, that, that child that was four, I had a relationship with him. And, um, you know, I, it's sometimes very painful for me that I don't get to see him again or her. I love hearing about all this. You do. I know we, I know you do love hearing. Why do you love hearing about all this? I don't know. It's a good question. I don't, I don't, I don't know why it's fascinating mm-hmm. to me. I guess that's why I'm in the line of work that I'm in. I, I, cause I've had the same experience lately. I mean, there's a lot of things that I'm interested in and I, I have a pretty strong creative drive. So sometimes if that's not getting fulfilled, yeah, I can feel this anxiety just in doing my work and doing my sessions. But whenever I sit down with somebody, I, yeah, I'm, I'm always like, what, what's going on? <laughs> and it's mm-hmm. always sincere. Like I can feel it. it's like, what's happening? Mm-hmm. Like, tell me everything I need to know. Mm-hmm. Like, I want to know. I don't know why that is. I'm fascinated by people. I really am. I'm so glad you're doing this podcast. <laughs> I just need to say that because yeah. you've been talking about it for so long. And I just, I don't know. I just feel, it feels so good. Yeah, I'm I'm glad I'm doing it too. I yeah. And it's getting better. I'm getting better at it. And it cuz it you have to be a broadcaster. You, you mm-hmm. there's skills and tricks and techniques and you're telling stories and you have to keep things succinct and you have to keep things moving and it's not easy. Mm-hmm. But I think the skills that I've developed as a psychotherapist are transferable. It's different, but there's definitely uh, they're transferable and and it's also a way for me to be able to say a lot of stuff that, you know, I want to say. Because I have a lot of opinions, Jana, as you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I wanted to get into all this stuff with Joe Rogan. But luckily, I made a, a video that I just posted. So I got it out of my system for three days. Mm. I've been obsessed with this, what's going on with that. The ivermectin, the horse deworm. I mean, it's just mm-hmm. it's preposterous. What's going on? I haven't on? seen just, your video. Do you like, want to uh, film? I mean, me in you're in Canada. Like, yeah. Let's get into it a little mm-hmm. bit because we have. Okay, to. let's get into it. Yeah, yeah, let's do it. <clears throat> you are in Canada. Canada is uh, fairly strict with the lockdowns. They're taking this very seriously. And you had you got the vaccine, mm-hmm. and then you got COVID. I did. Yes. It was a blessing. It was a blessing. Why? Um, I mean, you know, I mean, just talking about the mystical for a second, like 
we planned our trip. We let them, we let a mushroom journey determine where we were going on our trip, which is not how we make decisions for our summer vacation, which took us to the Baja Peninsula in Mexico, which was on fire with COVID. And I blithely walked around, you know, unmasked and just not licking door handles exactly, but really not doing anything at all. And, um, and then I got a sore throat within three or four days and took a COVID test, which came back negative because it had not yet migrated up into my sinuses. And then it did. And I continued the rest of my Mexican vacation with like sneezing and full on cold symptoms, got on a plane, landed in Toronto and tested positive for COVID. Um, and had an experience, like got scared and then got better and then felt very free on the other side of it. And very lucky somehow to have gotten COVID and to not have ended up quarantined in Mexico, but just to, to just, I don't know, to just be like, not afraid of getting it anymore. Like something felt very lifted for me. Um, and now you have the antibodies and now I have the antibodies and yeah. And it's what I wanted. I wanted to, I always want to feel free. Did Dave get it? Dave didn't get it, but, um, we were, you know, sleeping in the same bed. We were kissing, like, even while I had like a cold and stuff, like Dave was super exposed to it. You know, I was really sick and we were making out. Um, so yeah, Dave just did not get it. He's kind of a little bit bummed about that on some level, but mm. also happy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But so, yeah, that, that happened. And I see there's an election coming and that Trudeau is pushing strong for vaccine passports and mandates, I guess. Mm-hmm. And he seems mm-hmm. to be really demonizing those who are uh, fighting against it. Yeah, you it's people, really you people. I mean, he's really politicizing it. Yeah, and then I saw that uh, your premier Doug Ford is uh, proudly uh, uh, advocating for passports and mandates. He's, and so, well, that, hold on. I mean, right? I'm not a fan. No, I, I'm okay. not a fan of of Doug Ford, but he did not want to do them, and uh, oh. he did not want to do them. He 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 said he wasn't doing them. He said he wasn't going to create a split society. The pressure to do them was unbelievable. And, you know, he held a press conference and said, it's no secret. I did not want this. And this isn't going to last for one second longer than it needs to. I don't know. Like, oh. I, I'm not into it. I'm not, I, you know, I'm, I'm not into it. I'm not into it. I'm not into passports. Not into what? I'm not into to mandates. Passports? I don't mm. like it. I didn't think it was going to happen. I, you know, I was sure it wasn't going to happen. And I'm wrong. Like, obviously. It's happening, and it's been, it's been very um, unsettling. Did you see the and video it, that I made? I didn't. I I'd like to see. I, which one? I posted a video on Facebook on my private Facebook page, mm-hmm. telling Canada to Canadians to my Canadian friends, and then I just ripped them a new asshole. Like, what the fuck are you doing? Right. Stand up, find the courage. This is fucking bullshit. Mm-hmm. And. Uh, yeah, a lot of people did not like that. A lot of people did like it, but right, a lot of people, lot did, of people did, and a lot of people didn't. Yeah, fifty-fifty. I don't know. It's hard to gauge, right? You know, because not everybody responds. Not everybody. Not everybody who likes it likes it. 
not everybody who doesn't like it responds. So, but, uh, yeah, it was very challenging, but people are, you know, that's the thing. I mean, people, intelligent people think it's a good idea, these passports and mandates. I don't, I, it just feels like discrimination to me. And there's always a story to create, to discriminate. There's always something you can do. And it just it feels dangerous to me, but this is what's yeah. happening. I don't know. I don't know. It's scary to me. Right. I mean, it's, you're not vaccinated. Like it, it's, you're in that camp that's being demonized, you know, I'm vaccinated and, but I, you know, I've had family members, people like who I, I don't know, people say things like we should hold people down and inject them against their will, or we should stop. Um, we shouldn't treat like people that are unvaccinated that get COVID. If they go to the hospital, we shouldn't treat them. I mean, I, I'm like, we shouldn't treat them. Um, and I've been very like disturbed, I guess, you know, those, at, those, at, those people are deranged. Like I, I, I don't like, it's not there. I mean, it's, they're in terror. I assume, I don't know what to say about that. I, it's a, it's a hard, like I'm getting to this place. I've no, I'm, I'm in this place now where I've stopped. I'm not holding the middle. I've taken a side and I'm at war. Mm-hmm. Because of that, because of that, like we should hold you down and give you the vaccine. It's like, well, then we're going to have a fight to the death because that's not yeah. happening. Like, I, is that, is that the fight you want to fucking have? Right. Well, when people say that, like, I mean, just yeah. think about that. If you've been unvaccinated and somebody's saying to, we want to hold you down. I know. That's no, your I position. Know. That is fucking that to, when you're on the other side of that, that feels yeah. really no, not course. good. Right. When I come back at them about it. Mm hmm. It's like they haven't thought about it very hard or yeah. something. I don't know what. Like they they don't they back down pretty fast. Yeah. You know? Uh it's yeah. I mean at least that's what I've I've noticed. Like they reconsider pretty quickly their their position. But yeah, I mean, I can imagine it is very scary. Yeah, I'm I'm I don't I'm not that worried that it's gonna happen and I understand that people are angry and and I mean, mostly it's people are scared. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what's most interesting. And this is what I'm trying to wrestle with. So you have a population that a lot of people are very, very scared. And they're scared for a lot of different reasons. Some of them real, some of them not. Some of them manufactured by the media or at least exacerbated by the media and some by the politics. And so it's, it's, there is some level of hysteria that's happening and and I'm, I'm sympathetic to it and I, and I felt it I know I was talking to Angela yesterday and she had an experience where she she went into it for whatever reason she was outside and started getting scared like oh my god it's in the air it's in the air I'm breathing it I'm gonna get it I'm gonna die like you know she went there mm-hmm. and I went there during an ayahuasca ceremony last January where I really felt holy shit, I'm in this room with a bunch of people. And what if I get it? What if I die? What if it's really bad? Like, and I, I let myself go to the fears just to just understand it. And it's terror. Mm-hmm. And so I want to have compassion and sympathy for that. But then when people are acting out of that place collectively, it's a, like the actions they can take mm-hmm. motivated by that fear are dangerous they can be dangerous and distorted so how do you hold people in that place with compassion but also say like fuck you 
you know that's what i'm trying to well i don't think out. you say fuck you like i think you have no i know <laughs> totally totally disagree really they have to feel your no right they have to feel the power of like i'm not fucking taking the vaccine like you need to get that through your fucking head Mm-hmm. You need to feel my no. You need to feel no. Mm-hmm. And now, like, feel that. It's strong. I'm not, this is, we're not fucking around here. This is my line. Mm-hmm. Now, do mm-hmm. what you will do. Feel what you want to feel. But, like, you have to feel that. Right. They have to feel that, I think. So, if, yeah, yes, yes. You know, maybe when it's like when my family members say these things that I think are are very dark and coming from their fear and not thought through. Right. Like. I. I mean, I don't want to like I mean, I guess I do attack them, actually. You know, I don't. (laughs) Like, what are you going to do? Like, let's say you have a group and you have vaccinated and unvaccinated and you bring mm-hmm. this whole energy in yeah. into the room, right? Where the, the vaccine, you split them into two camps and you let them go at each other. What do you yeah. want to say to the vaccinated people? <clears throat> I want to hear what they have to say to me. What do you, right. what, I don't want the vaccine. Like what, like now that I'm here, I'm standing here. I don't want this vaccine. Why? I don't want it. Why? I don't want it. Well, you're going to harm other people. Mm, maybe, maybe not. Okay. But even, even if you say that's true, that, you know, we can debate that. I don't, I don't care. You're you the can, reason, you stay you're the reason me. that we can't go back to normal. You know, it's because of you guys. Like, I don't know how much more proof you need that it's safe. It's like, you know, billions of people have taken it, you know, and there's like so much evidence that I'm not taking it. I'm not taking the vaccine under any circumstances. What are you going to do? Well, I'm going to isolate you from society. Okay. How are you going to do that? I'm going to bar you from places where you can infect people. But if you have the vaccine, you can infect people. But people that aren't vaccinated infect at a much higher rate than people that are. So I could get infected. It's, it's my risk. It's not your risk. But then you could go and infect others, like children. Other, other unvaccinated people? You could oh, also it- infect, affect, infect children. Hey, listen to me. You think you can fucking control this? You can't control this. You cannot control this. The idea that you can control this is an illusion. And I know they've been telling you that, that the vaccines is the panacea. It's going to save everything. And you're going to finally go back. That's not true. That is not true. Now there's boosters. It didn't work in Israel. This thing is mutating. We don't know what's going on. Nobody knows what's going on. And you're afraid and you need a scapegoat and you're pointing the finger at me. No, no. You need to feel the truth of what this actually is. It's out of control. There's nothing you can do. I really wish we could all agree. 
<laughs> you know, I really feel like if we could just all thought the same way and we were all sensible and, you know, what I think is sensible, then, right. then I, I have a hope that we could do something, you know, if we could all unify and do the same thing, then maybe we could do something. You know, what's funny is people say to me when I post stuff, like I just read a comment on the video that I made and I, I didn't say anything about not getting vaccinated. They were saying, you know, you're, you're, why are you afraid of the vaccination or of masks? It's like, I'm not afraid. Like that, that's the idea that somehow I'm afraid of the vaccine. Like I think it's, it's going to make me sick or there's something wrong with it or there's a microchip in it. It's not that I just don't want it. Right. I well, they treat you, you guys aren't a monolith, unvaccinated. Everybody has different reasons. Everybody has different reasons, but there's yeah. a lot of projection about, you know, and assumptions made about the reasons that people, people trying to make sense of what this thing is. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, if you go to the mystical, let's go to the mystical. Let's go all the way okay. in to the deepest realms you know, what is this thing spiritually? You tell me, Dave, what is well, it? It's, uh, it's here to help us evolve. Mm-hmm. Just like Trump. It's forcing me to understand something deeper about myself. It's forcing me to find my courage. Mm -hmm. It's forcing me to see the world for what it actually is. I haven't experienced war in my lifetime or a really great tragedy, 9-11, I guess, but I wasn't around for World War I or World War II. So this is it. And I'm seeing what, I'm seeing a much deeper layer of the fundamental nature of reality and coming to terms with it. And it's not easy to come to terms with, I tell you, because when you're in a crisis, when, uh, things are out of control, when there's chaos, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. There you are. Um, when things are out of control, when there's chaos, like, and there's fear, people do crazy shit like and i'm not saying that i'm above it i'm not being reactive i'm sure i'm gonna look back at things that i said and did five years from now and go holy fuck i was in the vortex of this thing just like everybody else Mm -hmm. but we are yeah we are in the fog of war Mm -hmm. and how do you orient when you're in the fog of war well, that's why I'm going to the sweat lodge on Wednesday nights. That's the only place I feel like I can orient. I mean, Diana's flying in on Wednesday and she's like, oh, I'm sorry. I got to, you know, you have to miss sweat lodge to come pick me up. And I was like, silence. <laughs> she's like, I can take an Uber. I'm like, yeah, I am not <laughs> fucking missing sweat lodge. <laughs> like I can't, I won't. Right. It's like, that's my sanctuary. I, like literally for survival in a way. It's the only place yeah. I can find my sanity, you know? And I, and I, I feel for those who don't have something like that. I mean, you have, you know, a stable family, so that that's its own version of that. But, um, there's a lot of scared people out there. There's a lot of angry people. There's a lot of lonely people. And, uh, it's, we're, yeah, we're finding out and we're, I think we're also finding about 
out of really about the nature of power. That's what I see. Mm-hmm. And that's a hard thing to come to terms with. That's what I said in my video that I think people didn't really want to hear, which is that historically power always corrupts. Mm-hmm. Like show me a time in history when power doesn't corrupt. We know that. I mean, it's, it's biblical, it's Shakespearean and you have to have systems in place to mitigate against that. And, and this, we're in a crisis and the powers that be are going to want to take control. Like naturally mm-hmm. when things are out of control, people want to take control. And when they do that, they can rationalize all kinds of stuff. So these liberties that they're taking away, we're never getting back. It's never going back to normal. And Wait, that's what's scary to me. What do you mean? When do you, so I've been wrong about so many things. I just want to say that. So yeah. do you really, so I'm open, like, uh, but I, uh, I don't think that's true. Like, do you really think that we're not getting these liberties back? Which liberties? You take off your shoes at the airport? Yeah, yeah. Is it annoying mm-hmm. as fuck? It is, is it ridiculous. It's, it is completely ridiculous. I can't believe that they haven't stopped that. I can't believe they haven't stopped that. I mean, I, I get to keep my laptop and my phone inside my bag in certain, at certain airports, though. That's, right. That's a return. Yeah, but now that's an industry and that's in place. And we know that none of it makes sense. It's been proven that it doesn't work and makes sense, but we do it anyway and we keep going on. It's going to be the same thing. Here. What do you think is going to, what do you think is going to persist? We're going to be wearing masks in uh, public transportation for probably the next five years, at least, if not forever. It's just going to become a standard thing. Oh God, no way. I don't know, Dave, man. Dave, I hope you're wrong. I hope I'm wrong too, but I just, you know, I mean, may, maybe it'll go through a generation, but the, think about the kids growing up with this stuff. I mean, they're oriented to it. They're just going to become normal. And just what it does to you psychologically, once you start realizing like everything, oh, there's viruses and everything can make me sick. And then there's an industry around it. It's like the flu shot. Once they came up with the flu shot, oh, we got to give everybody the flu shot. It's like, I don't want the fucking flu shot. I don't need the flu shot. I'm fine. It's, and an the industry. flu shot is, it's optional. You don't have it, to get it, the flu it shot. Is, it is optional. But the, the point of it is, is once you build a system around it, that system wants to perpetuate itself. It has to find a reason to exist. So it's going to start looking for the problem out there. They're always going to be talking now about viruses and global pandemics. And we're going to be oriented to that all mm-hmm. the time. And there's going to be safeguards in place around it and more, you know, and they're going to rationalize it. I mean, just what's going on in New Zealand and Australia is fucking crazy. No, I know what's going on in Australia is crazy. So I uh, maybe maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. But, uh, did you hear know. the latest from Australia? Like about the facial recognition? Well, that's, what the- I'm, that's the other thing that's going on. Mm. All of that stuff scares me. Yeah. Digital passports, it's all tied in. I mean, I, I know the, it just, if you, there's a Twitter account called Alex Jones was right. It's just so good. It's like he was right about, he's just been right about so many things. And, and, and Adam Curry's all over this stuff too. You know, the great reset. And uh, I think the one thing that is most concerning to me, and John Robb talks about this, it's a great Twitter account, John Robb, you got to follow John Robb, but that basically big tech runs our lives. They're in charge. They kick the president of the United States off the platforms. They're running the show, Google, mm-hmm. Facebook. If they want you out, you're out. There's nothing you can do. If you have a business and Google and Facebook kick you off, you don't exist. There's nothing you can do. That's a tremendous amount of power. And- 
It's all based on their, their terms of service. Now, the government, nation states have constitutions or some version of a constitution that we all agree on. This is a totalitarian technocracy, right? Mm-hmm. And we have to figure out, there has to be a digital terms of service. Like, we have to get our heads around that. You just can't kick the president of the United States off fucking Twitter because you don't like him or because he said something you you find inflammatory. It's insane mm-hmm. because, because of how ubiquitous these uh, services have become. Mm-hmm. And we have to get our heads around that or we are going to be living in, we are, we are already living in it in some way, but it's just going to get worse and worse. That's my fear more than anything else. Well, that conversation's happening. It's definitely happening, right? That that's, there's an attempt to sort that out right now. Um, and is that, that's like your worst case scenario? Like you think that's happening for sure? Like, do you think this is going to get happens, sorted but out? But I think it happens in really subtle ways. I don't, I, I, and I think a lot of people are agreeing to it. I mean, I think, I basically think that there's a lot of people, the ruling class who look at China and think China's got it right. Mm-hmm. I think that's what's going on. I think they, I think once Trump got elected and once Brexit happened, I think there was a lot of people who said, fuck that. We got to figure this out. We can't actually have the people really can have real democracy. You know, we can play at it, but at the end of the day, it has to be what we want because we know best. We can't just let the plebes decide. Mm -hmm. I think that's a real attitude. Mm -hmm. And it's a little, it's a little scary because I, I orient toward, the, the intelligence of the group. Like when Trump was elected, you know, I remember Obama when he was behind in the polls, he was like, I trust the wisdom of the American people. Mm-hmm. It's like, Oh, did you trust the wisdom of the American people when Trump was elected? I did. I thought there was a greater intelligence at work. And it's like, you know, are we willing to accept that? Like, as opposed to, I mean, it's, it's a great idea. It's like this, this tension between control and surrender. And are you really willing to surrender to, to this, what the group wants? And, and if they, if people allowed it and trusted it and gave over to it, if everybody said, okay, I guess this is what's happening. I wonder what would have happened. Okay. But let me ask you something. So I'm living in Ontario and in Ontario, the majority of the people want vaccine passports. Right. That's the vast majority Are they going to have a vote on it? Are we supposed to, like, and if we did, if they did have a vote on it, I think it would pass. Well, I think, I think you got to give it some time. I don't think now is the time to vote on it. Hmm. I guess what I'm asking is, are there things, like, are there things that are an anathema to you where you would be like, I don't want to trust the will of the people on this one? Yeah, I guess you're right. I mean, I, I don't know enough about political philosophy and maybe I should read more about it. I, I know it's complicated and I know pe- the people who actually wrestle with these questions, you know, that it is, it is very complicated and that, yeah, there are times you can't just, not everything should be a, uh, what is it called? A plebiscite. You just, you know, you vote on everything. Although that we could have that. 
Everybody's right. got an app on their phone. It's like, how do you feel about raising tax? Oh, press the app. We all vote. <laughs> you know, I don't know. I love that idea. It's, it's Ray Dalio. That's how Ray Dalio wants to run right, businesses. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. really, it's, it's cool. It's, it's like, it sounds like if you could do it, I don't know. I would love to see that be really tried. Did you see the Osho clip where he said uh, about democracy? Something about, uh, you know, the, the, you, you let the people vote and they vote for what they want. The problem is the people are retarded. That's what Osho, the great philosopher, said about democracy. The people are retarded. Just quoting. I know I'm not allowed to use the word retarded. But yeah. I thought that was interesting. Dave. There you are. Am I back? So, uh, that was You're so back. good and I missed it. I missed it. You imitate Osha's <laughs> voice and everything. Fuck. <laughs> Do it again. Do it again. I said, I can't remember the exact quote, but it's Osho on the people choosing, you know, voting. He said, the problem is the people are retarded. <laughs> it's hard to argue with that. That's what he when said? You, yeah, yeah. When mm -hmm. asked about democracy, something about, you know, but yeah, the, the people are retarded. It's such a, it's, you can look it up. It's so funny. And it's kind of like, yeah, no, that's true. But what do you what, do? You put Osho in charge, you know? You have a cult. Well, and that, it seems cult. like that's the tension. Either you have a smart, fallible, conscious, as conscious as you can find individual running things, or you give it over to the will of the people and whatever the consciousness level of the group is, is what determines what you're going to get. It's interesting because I'm going to have to start to think about this because my intention really is to build a community right now. And that's what I'm doing. Oh, tell you know, me more. I, well, I mean, this fortify your soul project that I have, which is a 40 day it's a course we meet every Sunday and I do some teaching and give some, you know, teach some concepts and I give them some homework. But mostly it's about every day we're, we're checking in on the Telegram app and people have their challenge for the week. They're going to do, you know, 20 pushups a day or they're going to meditate or they're going to whatever fast. And they check in and there's built a little community and it's going really well. Like people are checking in, they're really enjoying it and they're, uh, supporting each other and inspiring each other. So I can see it. It's like, okay, this instinct, my instinct was right. You know, people want community. And so you're holding space for community. And already I can see how complicated mm -hmm. <laughs> it's going to get the mm -hmm. bigger it gets. And that in some way it's the tension between listening to what people want and also just like laying down the law, like this is what it is. Mm-hmm. And it's obviously easier, easier for me because I'm not elected. I'm just putting it out there. This is what I'm doing. You know, here I am, come and join up. Here are the rules. And, you know, obviously you take feedback, but you can, you, you, I'm really starting to see, and just even at the beginning, the complexity of managing a large group of people and, and all their conflicting desires and needs and all the transference that's happening and the projection and, but this is how people want to live. I mean, we have to live in community and learning to hold space for that, I think is, 
it's admirable work. Mm-hmm. And uh, I guess that's what I'm, <laughs> I guess that's what I'm, I'm going to do. Right. How do you, I mean, I don't expect you to be able to answer this question, but how, how like a group will tend towards chaos in some way. Like mm-hmm. how, how do you hold stability in a community while still like letting people express and be free? Like what's the, I mean, in traditional societies, it's like the strong man, you know, like there's been like a strong man at the top or something, you know, and that's really worked. Um, but I, I think you always have to have a strong man. I think there's a lot of ways to be a strong man. It doesn't always have to look like Putin, mm-hmm. but you have to be clear. You have to be persuasive. You have to uh, build and set the container and have boundaries. And mm-hmm. But it's not easy. I mean, I know a guy, he's got a very powerful uh, community in Los Angeles, ayahuasca community, huge, huge community. And, uh, some of his top people, main people came out that they'd voted for Trump or they, or they were sympathetic to Trump. Maybe they didn't vote for Trump, but they were sympathetic and starting to see like, Oh, maybe I'm going to vote for Trump. And it divided the community. And I watched the leader who I had to have a lot of admiration for struggle in real time. And he didn't know what to do because he didn't like Trump. He was like, what the fuck? But these were also like two or three of his his best people, <laughs> you know, his his top, you know, lieutenant kind of people. And then on the other side, you had people saying these these guys need to go like they need to be out of this tribe, out of this community. We They should not be tolerated. They should not be allowed to uh, serve medicine if that's what their beliefs are. It got really, really intense. And uh, he, he basically held it together. How? How did he do it? Well, I, he, nobody was happy. I can tell you that neither side was happy. He didn't, he, I think he gave in both ways at different times. And I think when he did give in, the other side was always, you know, upset, um, and let him know, but ultimately he, he, he did his best and the community's still going. It's still, it's changed certainly and people have moved on but i also felt like that needed to happen maybe again like there needed to be a purging there needed to be um something that happened that was clarifying it i think it forced growth in that community and forced growth in the leadership and 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 it forced other people to uh step up and find their own leadership so it was all is a win 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 all around, but yeah, it was not an easy thing for this person to hold. But he, I, I you know, I watched in admiration. He, you know, he really did his best. I don't think you can. You know, I watched it with Anne too. I don't think there's any way to do it without being hated, without being judged, without disappointing people, without people feeling like you've you know you've lost your integrity, integrity, or you did it wrong, or you went back on your word, or people feel betrayed. I, I just don't think that's a thing. I think you mm-hmm. have to, you have to be ready for that to happen and just accept that that's going to happen and hold it lightly. That's all you can do. Uh, and your, experience the terrible loneliness of it, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, then you got to be with God there because you're by yourself mm-hmm. at the top and everybody hates you. Mm-hmm. And everybody loves you. But you are separate. Yeah. 
which I guess would in some way what you're experiencing with your children. Like you want to know everything about them now still, but they're like, mom, bug off. And that's got to feel lonely. Yeah. And also like, I'm going to know less and less in a kind of way. Like it's going to be whole areas of their life that are not like for my, not for me to know about, you know, and it's so right. And yet I don't like it. And it's so, it's kind of embarrassing for me to, it's ridiculous for me to even admit that's how I really feel, you know? Why? Why is it ridiculous? Well, because it's so like the devouring mother, you know, like she wants to eat her children. She wants to know everything about them. Like she suffocates them and gives them no space. And that's me. You know, at least, in you a, know in, at least you know you're a devouring mother. It's, it's better not, than somebody who's like, what are you talking about? Uh, right. No. I just love I my also, children. Right. And it's not me, you know, because I don't, I consciously try really to not. But but it's amazing, yeah, to feel what people will do or what I will do to resist that loneliness, that experience of loneliness, of separateness, you yeah. know? I will I think, never lead a community, Dave. No? I don't think so. I mean, I think it's also, you know, I run groups uh, now by myself, um, but I prefer to do it in partnership. Mm. It, it at least it eases the, that loneliness feeling that is hard for me to bear. Yeah, it's, it's funny. Like this, this man, Tony is his name that I was just talking about, like in these ceremonies, he's about 50, 55 now. And we got a little gray in his beard and he wears all white in these ceremonies and he sits at the front and he's got a kind of like a hood. And, uh, and he, he orchestrates, he said, he's a beautiful, beautiful singer, like just incredible and musician, but he lets, you know, everybody do their thing and he orchestrates the whole thing. But there's times where when he's just sitting there kind of watching over it mm-hmm. and when you're under the effect of ayahuasca and you just see like, oh, there's grandfather. Mm. There's grandfather watching over everything and you feel like the strength and power of it and, and the archetype of it. It's so, it's so fucking deep, like what it does to you emotionally to see him there. And to see the power that it holds and to see him holding that power inside himself, like holding that space. And then I think of all the Lakota songs, which they're all Tonkashila is the most common word used. Tonkashila, Wonkantonka, and Chanupa, which is pipe. But it's all about praying to the grandfather, 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 see me, look at me, grandfather, I'm facing to the West. I'm sending you a voice, grandfather, you know? And uh, it's just such a deep, deep thing. And I guess, why am I saying that? Because that's where I'm headed. That's where I'm going as the beard becomes more and more gray and I'm heading into that territory. So it's, those are the people that I'm paying attention to and I guess... That's what I'm ultimately looking to try to model. Tony, is that what you said his name was? Yeah, yeah. No, just right. this, the, just that idea, these archetypes, 
that we exist in and and they're real like the devouring mother as mm-hmm. you're saying like the, these are they're real and it's good to to know them and to feel them and and there's something mystical in that like when you are connected to that idea it pulls you out of the mundane and the ordinary in reality and the ego that we can have around just our problems and our complaints and places where people let us down. Like you really see that we're all archetypes. Mm-hmm. We're all just mm-hmm. playing a role in some way. And are you willing to step into that role and just, just play your part? Right. And there's right. deep satisfaction in that. It's not about what you want necessarily. And that's, that's the one thing I'm also starting to give up, you know, that everything was, and, and I understand that it's like what I want, what I want, what I want. And even society in a way needed to go through that because we didn't for so long, we never got what we wanted. We didn't have the freedom to be able to just, I want. Mm-hmm. And so we've gone through this phase where everybody's like, well, I want to do this. I want to do that. I want to follow my passion. I don't want to do this. And we needed to have that expression. You know, that the teenager, I don't know, something like that to just like have that. But I, I can feel inside me. It's like, oh, no, 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 no. That's the child's game. Mm-hmm. It's a big, bigger game to play. Like, where am I needed? Right. How can I serve? That's what's going to give me the deepest satisfaction. Mm-hmm. How do is, I play my part? How, yeah. how do I? Yeah. Which is what I'm after. That's what I'm really after. You know, so that's, yeah, that's the stuff. That's what this is given me, the, the spiritual, the connection to God, the mystical, the Lakota. It's like it, it taps you into something deeper. Mm-hmm. And, and I also think it's just a function of age. Mm-hmm. You gain perspective, yeah. you gain wisdom. You, you know, I don't have the same need to be seen or recognize i'm not trying to prove myself in the same way it's different Mm -hmm. i love it i love i love what you're in right now like i love how it feels it's it's powerful it's exciting to me you know it's just how do i play my part my part in any moment because I, I do feel the force of certain archetypes come into my body, you know, I, or I guess I'm thinking about this in par- in my parenting in a certain yeah. way, you know, like it's so strong. I'm like, what is this? Right, right. It's bigger than you. Yeah. We don't know anything. We know everything and we know nothing. Mm. You know, some part of us knows everything if we're l- willing to just give over to that. Yeah, it's weird. I feel a lot of peace in this moment. I was feeling so agitated the last couple of days, but I guess, I guess I said what I wanted to say and posted it. And I needed to do that about the whole Joe Rogan and Ivermectin thing. And, but, and maybe, maybe there's something that feels very peaceful in our relationship, like that we've grown. And so there's just something very adult. And I think we're seeing each other and, loving each other and understanding each other and in a way that's 
clear and clean and it's very satisfying to me because mm-hmm. you're somebody who was very important in my life and I'm glad that you're back in my life mm-hmm. and I'm glad that we've reconnected and I'm glad you came on my podcast and shared yourself so vulnerably. Mm-hmm. I'm so glad too, Dave. This is, I feel so happy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like it when you're happy. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you.